Welcome to this edition of the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Woods-Hale, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. A few weeks ago, Amber reached a milestone in its history by recruiting its 50,000th MBA member, Pablo Espinosa Almanara. Pablo is an MBA candidate at Alliance Manchester Business School, as well as growth and innovation lead at Arcadis, which is a built asset design and consultancy firm, which was responsible for projects including Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the London Bridge station redesign, and the design of the Australian Grand Prix race course. I was really excited to speak to Pablo to find out a little bit more from him about his thoughts on innovation, sustainability, ethics, and the future of business. Well, Pablo, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to me today for the Ambition Podcast. I thought it might be interesting if we kicked off the interview with you, perhaps telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. So thank you very much for having me. So about my background, I'm a Spanish. I come from the south of Spain and specifically from a beautiful city called Granada. In Granada, I studied a master in civil engineering. And there I worked in, in my family business, taking different roles, but mainly as business development manager. At some point, I wanted to have an experience outside that my mother country, and I moved to the UK looking for other opportunities with a very basic English in my backpack, but a lot of enthusiasm for exploring and learning. Then I studied a master in construction project management at Harry University in Edinburgh, and after this, I moved to London to work as project manager in a consultancy. And since then, I've been living in London, and it's seven years now. Wow. Okay. And you're currently an MBA candidate at Alliance Manchester Business School um, with plans to graduate in 2021. What prompted you to complete the MBA? As I said, my family owned a small business in Spain, and I've always been involved in this business since I was a kid. I grew up in, a middle, in the middle of a business environment where I learned many different skills, going from operations management to how to deal with clients or what is customer experience. So I've always been passionate about businesses overall. And that has been the main driver for me to get better prepared for managing businesses. And the best way to learn about this is, of course, through an MBA. So you mentioned you live in London and you're obviously studying at Manchester. Uh, What's the format of your study and how are you really balancing your time? So currently, I'm in the second year of a part-time global MBA at the Alliance Manchester Business School. This is a blended MBA that mixes face-to-face with virtual learning environments. And prior to starting this MBA, I thought that maybe a part-time arrangement was going to be balancing quite nicely with my job and my lifestyle. Now, I think that the MBA requires more work than I was anticipating. And therefore, it requires a lot of commitment to complete it. But a piece of advice for those who are thinking of studying an MBA, I would say that This requires a really high commitment, not only from themselves, but also from their partners and families, as the MBA will require a lot of time and dedication. In my particular case, I try to do some MBA work and reading before working every day, so I can leave uh, part of the weekend uh, to do other activities or rest. And what courses and modules are you particularly enjoying and finding the most useful? So the courses that I'm enjoying the most are about the strategy and competition. This subject is quite extensive in the Global MBA at Alliance Manchester Business School. Working as a consultant, I find quite important to know more 
about how businesses create their strategies and how these strategies change based on the constant market changing conditions or based on uh, the movements from the competition. These courses are really practical. And in my case, I'm applying what I learned in the MBA to my day-to-day job from almost day one, which is great. And in this second year, I had to choose three electives and from a very broad offering. So you can specialize in almost every area of the business that you want. You can find digital marketing strategy, negotiation skills, venture capital and private equity, strategy or finance as different subjects. So I'm speaking to you at the moment as a lot of the world is still in in lockdown due to COVID-19 and social distancing is obviously impacting the way that we work and study. How has that impacted your studies and how have you been able to adapt to, I suppose, this new normal that we're all living in? Yeah, so COVID had a a direct impact to all businesses, not only uh, uh, the global MBA, uh, but every business. So one of the main reasons for me to choose the Alliance Manchester Business School was the opportunity to travel abroad. So in the the electives, you can travel and study uh, in Singapore, Shanghai, Hong Kong, or many other places. However, due to the lockdown, uh, I haven't been able to to do this. So the uh, the MBAs is actually quite supporting in in this in this uh, complicated situation, and you can defer your electives or doing them virtually if you want. So also the fact that this global MBA was already a blended course involved involving uh, some virtual learning have also mitigated some of these issues in COVID nineteen. And but I can say that. Uh, from my point of view, AMBS have acted quite rapidly and they have adapted the teaching style to, the, to overcome the COVID-19 challenges. And they are offering quite a, 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 a high quality teaching experience. And I'm, in summary, I'm really happy with uh, their response to the COVID-19 lockdown and challenges. Fantastic. We've talked quite a lot about teaching and learning and the course itself, but have you been able to take part in any extracurricular activities offered by Alliance as part of your MBA? Yeah, in MBAs, uh, there is a postgraduate career service that offers a lot of webinars and sessions to support the alumni and preparing you for the next steps post-MBA. I remember attending a very useful webinar about how to actively manage your career in times of crisis or how to master your brand in LinkedIn. I have also attended a couple of webinars uh, chaired by the chief product officer of Berkeley's car payments and the head of performance X in Google. They were quite interested, quite interesting. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to attend any face-to-face events, but I know that they run this normally a few times uh, every year. Okay, so I'm quite interested to find out more about yourself and your career. So you spent your career in strategic project management, transformation and delivery in operational environments. So would you be able to share some examples with me of initiatives and projects in which you've been especially proud to be involved? I worked in project management most of my career and mostly working in aviation and education. So I was involved, for example, in the pre-delivery stages of a major capital program of over 400 million 
pounds called CT Airport Development Program. We call it CADAP normally. And this was to transform London City Airport for the future. The program was especially challenging due to the amount of stakeholders involved and in each of the projects, and also a lot of different technical difficulties to plan and carry out the works in an operational environment. The business was not to, the business tried to not put on hold uh, the operations, so we had to plan everything around the operations in order to give continuity to the business. I particularly remember an EUXO survey, which is uh, an unexploded ordinance survey. We carried out this survey to ascertain whether there was any unexploded items, bombs, essentially, from the World War II in the, rock, in the dock right next to the existing runway and right on the location where we were planning to build the new deck for the new terminal infrastructure and parallel taxiway. As part of these works, we engaged with many different parties and that included airport operations, the Royal Navy, Met Police, London Borough of Newham and many other third parties. And we were planning and preparing the protocols just in case an exploded ordinance was found. And actually, that happened one year after we planned the works, and, and we had to make use of those protocols. A 500-kilogram device was dis discovered at King George 5 dock. So the airport has to, clo to close temporarily, and Royal Navy, Met Police, and London Borough of Newham acted following the protocols that we defined as a team. So the bomb was extra extracted safely and detonated in the middle of the sea. But we successfully mitigated these risks and minimized the time that the airport was closed and potentially the impact that that bomb could have triggered. So this was a, a very good example of successful strategic project management. Unbelievable. Um, so moving forward, you're currently growth and innovation leader at Arcadis, which is a, a sort of organization that is working in uh, built asset design and consultancy. And it's been involved with projects, in including Burj Khalifa in Dubai, London Bridge uh, Railway redesign, um, and the course design of the Australian Grand Prix. So some pretty exciting projects. And I'm thinking with that in mind, your organization must have some fantastic insight into sustainability, infrastructure, smart society. And I was just wondering how this knowledge and experience has helped you with your MBA? Uh, well, that's right. One of the main benefits of working in Arcadis is the magnitude of the clients and the projects that you can work in. These clients are normally market leaders in their industries, or the projects are sometimes so unique in the world that they are considered a symbol for their organizations. This means that these clients will require, with no doubt, the best of your abilities to bring value into their, their organizations. Arcadis also gave me the opportunity to work with a wide range of clients, from the private sector to the public sector, and involving many different sectors and industries. This made me de develop valuable transferable skills, as well as a big picture thinking, and my job as a consultant also gave me the chance to work with board members and the C-suite of different client organizations from very early stages of my career. And here I learned about fundamental skills such as communication, problem solving, creative thinking, and decision-making skills. I'm really proud to be an Arcadian and, of course, be very proud to be part of this organization. 
And I think with your job title in mind, innovation is more important than ever, perhaps in the current environment. Do you think that business across the board are encouraging their people to be innovative and creative in every role in which they work? Absolutely. Innovation is one of the key areas of any business. And we live in a, in a world which is constantly changing. Uh, the markets are changing, people are changing, behaviors, tastes, etc. So every day ch something changes. So you need to be innovative in the business environment to see if you want to maintain that sustainable competitive advantage. In time of crisis, like we are now, business should leverage innovation to navigate through complexity and uncertainty. Business should look at reconfiguring their existing products and solutions to overcome the failure of the established firms. And this includes moving from incremental innovation to potentially more radical innovations. And people is at the core of this innovation. Problem that I find quite common is that some companies ask and encourage their employees to be innovative and creative. However, these companies do not give the platforms resources or time to complete this innovation. And arguably, these companies fail to innovate. This needs to change. Companies need to create a plan and provide resources to give their employees what they need if they want to achieve that successful and innovative results. And with that in mind, in terms of putting together plans um, to empower, I suppose, more employees to be more innovative, how do you think businesses can become more innovative in order to address mounting challenges and disruption? Not every business realizes what is, what is the real potential of being innovative. Now more than ever, companies are focus, focusing on survive and return after the impact of COVID-19. This crisis is going to put on the spot a lot of businesses whose size and operations were not appropriate for, uh, to the market demands. In any case, I believe that this is still a good moment to change the dynamics of your business and move into new and innovative business models. Churchill said once, don't waste a good crisis. And I totally agree with that. The reorganization of the business post COVID-19 need to look into the future. Leaders must use the lessons learned from the past to try to understand how the new normal is going to be. What are the new needs from your clients? How can you position your business to be the winner in this race? And I, I have a few tips that maybe can be helped in this direction. For example, setting up an, a process to capture these new ideas. Secondly, you can encourage experimentation throughout the organization. Thirdly, maybe you can increase the network outside your markets. This will help you to find new partners and new solutions. And, and lastly, look, at in, look into your business from inside out and outside in perspectives. This includes reimagining not only those areas that are not performing well today, but every area of the business that needs to change or will change in the future. Absolutely. So a while ago, we talked a little bit about your role at uh, City Airport Development Programme in London. And I know from experience that that strategy really led to a lot of urban rejuvenation around the local area where the airport is. Why do you think it's important for businesses to help support sustainability initiatives in the countries in which they operate and, and perhaps further afield as well? Yeah, so 
we need to understand that business do not operate in a bubble. Every business has some major influence in the external environments and impact in the local communities. As an example, in the case of London City Airport and the City Airport Development Program, CADAP, 1,500 new jobs were created in the airport and its partner businesses, and an extra 500 jobs in the construction of CADAP. The potential direct contribution to the UK economy was estimated at 1.5 billion by 2023. And there's facilitation of inward investment into the London borough of Newham and the wider east of London as, as a whole. This airport is one of the key international connections to the east of London and particularly Canary Wharf. But also there are other social and cultural activities like uh, for example, there's an education program that aims to raise levels of aspiration amongst young East Londoners and help them to develop key employability skills. These include education programs, career awareness initiatives, and tours throughout the operations of the, uh, of the, of the airport. These are just a, a few examples of the major impact of this business on the local community and the national economy. Ultimately, London City Airport is contributing to the sustainability of the area where they operate, and this is done through creating long-term value in the ecological, social, and economic environments. And this is a great example why business should support sustainability initiatives. I mean, you're right. It's a fantastic example. I'd be interested to know if you had any other examples of innovations that you've seen in organizations that have led them to acting in a more sustainable way. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, another example when, uh, was when I was working in the Department for Education. Um, the prime initiative about, around sustainability was setting a zero carbon trajectory for new schools through a program called Gen Zero. This program aims at producing a net zero prototype for the British schools of the future and focusing on reducing operational and embodied carbon emissions without compromising the occupant's comfort. It also aims at improve biodiversity and adapt to the unavoidable changes in climate that we will likely see over the next 50 years and beyond. So the Department for Education has embarked on a, number, on a number of pilot schemes which are testing a range of sustainable, sustainable initiatives, including, for example, Passive House, which is uh, basically informing their decision-making for schools design. Passive House is a voluntary standard for energy efficiency in a building, which reduces the building's ecological footprint. It results in ultra-low energy buildings that require little energy for space heating or cooling. And all of that with a, level, with a high level of occupant comfort while using very little energy for heating and cooling. All of this will lock in low carbon schools as the government investment is rolled out. Fantastic. With that in mind, we talked a little bit earlier on about the, the massive impact that's that's going to be happening within the world due to COVID-19. And um, a lot of people that I've spoken to for this podcast have talked about innovation as a way to, to getting us out of the crisis. And you, you alluded to that yourself a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, what innovations from organizations do you think will have the most positive impact on those affected by COVID-19? Well, COVID-19 had a direct impact on the mobility of people due to the lockdown imposed by the governments all around the world. 
Therefore, the immediate aim from most of the business was to have business continuity. And that included enabling employees to work remotely, facilitating new virtual environments to work, reviewing traditional governance and processes to meet the new requirements, and many more. All of this has directly contributed to accelerate change throughout digital transformation. And this digital transformation has always made sense, but the adoption has been very slow. People had to deal with some of the overwhelming concepts around the fourth industrial revolution and struggled to figure out where the value is coming from and where they can find that digital dividend. Now the needs for, for the digital transformation are compelling and urgent, and those that fail to transform their business will likely be left behind. And there is a high risk of becoming irrelevant and non-competitive. The crisis has proved the failure of some traditional systems, and we need and we needed to shift to a more adaptable, agile, and uh, solutions that are fully digitally enabled. But what are some of the key elements to this digital transformation? Well, here you, I'm, I'm going to give you a few tips. The most important point to remember is that digital transformation is not about is is not about technology. It's about people and talent. So you can create a digital thread right at the start of the innovation process to maintain it and uh, to maintain it to the end of the product life. Find partners that are digitally native and will enable the choice, agility, and resilience that you need. Ensure that you have the right tools to manage the new processes because it's time to throw away some of those old spreadsheets. And also insist that your own ecosystem implements that digital transformation strategy, as otherwise you will, you will be working in isolation. And we talk a lot about the role of emerging markets in the innovation conversation, but obviously it's a more complex, I suppose, question and challenge there with perhaps a lack of infrastructure or or digital natives, as you mentioned. What type of innovation works best in emerging markets and for emerging markets? From my, from my view, one of the best ways to innovate in emerging markets is, is through a more distributed, decentralized and participatory way. This means making use of open innovation. Open innovation is about using many sources of knowledge and new ideas which are freely available. That includes ideas from customers, rivals, academics, and firms from unrelated industries. So any business can make, a, make use of them to source their innovation. Open innovation has the potential to enlarge the space for value creation. It allows for many more ways to create value through new partners and complementary skills, or by unlocking hidden potential in long-lasting relationships. Also, in a crisis, Open innovation can help organizations to find new ways to solve the pressing problems and at the same time build a positive reputation. So in my view, collaboration is the key to bring the world closer together. An example of this is open source movements that are enabling faster adoption. Today, there are a growing number of collaborations between big and small companies around the globe. These companies are openly sharing their technologies and ideas that prompt faster innovation and wider adoption. Open source is basically a platform for innovation. The beauty of this is that there is a huge ecosystem of innovators who are no longer competing for scarce resources, 
but rather sharing knowledge with others to create new resources and opportunities. An application of this platform is OpenAI. OpenAI is basically a, an AI research and deployment company based in San Francisco, California. Their mission is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. So they have open resources for those who are interested in this subject. And it's said that we live in the age of disruption and I'm getting the idea that you're a person with your ear very close to the ground when it comes to disruption and innovation. So I'd be interested to find out from yourself what disruptions in the business sector you're most interested in currently. I'm very interested in the application of new technologies into my business sector. And these three main types of technologies that I'm currently looking at are mainly automation of knowledge work. Those are intelligent software systems, for example, artificial intelligence, machine learning, or big data technologies. The second one, I would say maybe cloud computing. Uh, the way cloud computing is working in IT resources for maintaining large databases is simply unprecedented. And probably the third one is about Internet of Things. These are networks of low-cost sensors for data collection, monitoring, decision-making, and process optimization. In any case, I'm constantly researching on disruptive technology trends to get applicable insight and see the big picture of how technology could impact my business objectives and bring operational efficiencies. I try avoiding taking a wait and see approach to where the technology and market are heading, as this could be really risky. I recommend taking a robust scenario planning to innovation where you can understand how these emerging technologies might affect your stakeholders, your suppliers, your customers, etc. So I play a plan for different type of scenarios. Normally I work on different ways in which my business might capture value through business model innovations. For example, I started asking myself, what if? So I ask myself, what is the role that my business is going to play in a changing ecosystem? Or what is the likelihood of disruption in, in the market industry that I'm operating in? So finally, I try to put all of this in context with the disruptive technologies that I identify and help me to make better decisions. And I suppose with that in mind, as a business student, how would you like to see business schools do more perhaps to help encourage innovation and entrepreneurship in, in other students and cohorts? Business schools play a key role connecting theory and practice. However, they need to go beyond that. Business schools need to be the vehicle for innovation and entrepreneurship. And in my view, business schools should position themselves as platform to integrate all these pieces in this complex puzzle for innovation. That means integrating all the elements that are necessary to achieve successful and innovative ecosystems. Companies can create competitive advantages by leveraging from new partnership investments, collaborations, and alliances. This aims at continuously adapting their offering to a changing customer base. The business school could potentially be that platform that connect all these companies and be at the heart of innovation and entrepreneurship. By this, I don't mean just organizing an event and sending invites out. 
it needs to go beyond that. It needs to be a dedicated team and space to constantly look at the markets and the portfolio of companies to find key synergies between complementors, suppliers, competitors, and customers that are coming from many different industries, and then work with them to unlock those new ideas. You have experience in aviation, hospitality, engineering, education, and fast-track projects um, in the retail sector and including interface with the public sector. You've worked in or with a variety of industries and sectors. So I'd be interested to find out how you found this experience of the transitions and what would your advice to other people in moving between sectors be? Well, it is obvious that every sector is different, but you still can find some transferable skills that will work across the the different industries and sectors. Nowadays, companies are looking for two types of workers, specialists and generalists. In my case, I I lay more to the latter. I define myself as a multidisciplinary person. One of the main benefits of this is that you bring always different angles into the problem-solving challenges. In any case, if you want to move across industries or sectors, my recommendation is that, first of all, you need to define what is your skill set. Carry out a skill gap analysis so you can understand your strengths and your weaknesses. Then make an analysis of those skills that are required to work, uh, that you are required to have for any other sectors. Look at the big picture. Take a top-down approach uh, where you move from a high-level point of view to a more granular level so you understand the details and the specific of that industry. And finally, compare these two skill sets. In this way, you are going to be able to not only exploit your strengths, but more importantly, you are going to be able to find the weaknesses that you need for the development and ultimately move across sectors. So a few weeks ago, you became the 50,000th member of AMBA. And as you'll know, AMBA is passionate about our membership network being a global force for good. But what do you think business schools should be teaching their students so they can be responsible and ethical leaders? Well, that's a very controversial topic. And (laughs) in the real world, business leaders find themselves in very complex situations. In this situation, they are going to have to make decisions between what is the best for my business or what is the most ethical decision. There are cases in which these answers are aligned, but some other cases they are not. So ethical leadership is supposed to answer the question, what is the right thing to do? And in fact, the response might change depending on who is responding to that question. But I'm going to go back to your question. What can business schools do to prepare future leaders for these type of situations? In my opinion, business school can contribute to this through instilling certain values into the future leaders. For example, one of the values of um, Alliance Manchester Business School is social responsibility. And you can see that a lot of their models that they teach in their global MBA have a specific section to discuss business ethical issues. And we run through practical examples of what has been done in the past in these business management issues. In this way, you can identify by yourself what are the ethical business characteristics, the attributes and the traits that ethical leaders should have and what should not have. This approach, actually, uh, you can think by yourself, what could you do in this type of situation? And I really like it because it triggers questions in my mind like, what are the things that I want to be recognized for? What are the legacy that I'm going, I, I want to leave behind me? 
So these are really important questions for any leader. And any leader needs to be clear about what are the answers to these questions because there's no doubt these future leaders will face these type of situations. And my last question to you, I suppose, is what are you most looking forward to about being a member of AMBA and having the opportunity to connect with 50,000 other MBA students and graduates from across the world? The AMBA is at the center of three key main parties, the MBA students and graduates, the business schools, but also corporate organizations. And there are a lot of opportunities that can be developed within these three groups separately and together. For example, increasing the visibility of what is happening across the world-class business schools that are part of AMBA. I would love to see as a all that information in a single space. However, I feel that the most important role of AMBA should be about connectivity. It should be about playing a key role as to how these three groups are connected together in many different ways, and they can generate and exploit cooperative opportunities and synergies in different areas. For example, building network, increasing the connection that will help to develop new businesses and opportunities, building further engagement, which is about finding different ways of engagement uh, to, to promote participation, unlocking commercial opportunities or increasing career opportunities for MBA graduates or for senior people. In summary, the ultimate goal of AMBA should be about being the go-to platform where these three groups go to create value together. And in addition, something that AMBA is doing quite well from my, from my personal view is sharing insight and informing members through many different channels like the magazine of the post or the podcast. And this is great insights uh, where you can find information about the business of today, but also the business trends of the future. And this is very helpful for me as it can be better prepared and informed for today and for tomorrow. Well, thank you very much for that. And, and also thank you so much for speaking to me today, Pablo. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. Um, congratulations again on being the 50,000th member. And um, we'll very much look forward to, to working with you over the months and years ahead on hopefully a variety of projects and it, it, with, with keeping this community connected and, and, and learning together in mind. So thank you very much again for your time. Thank you very much. And as Pablo mentioned, we have a wealth of thought leadership on the Ambition website, looking at all the topics that he's mentioned from sustainability, innovation, right through to business strategy and the future of work. So if you want to find out more, all you have to do is go to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition.